The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. As we get back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds as the spring training camps for the year 2015 are ending up this week, and we are just one week away from opening day for both of these ball clubs, the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians for the 2015 season. And, of course, we can't talk about the Reds without our resident Reds expert and movie producer, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Well, Dave, first of all, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that after I gave you a challenge last week to find a Reds highlight uh you went out and did it and i don't know if if linda jordan was the impetus but one of our our faithful fans uh had provided at least me a number of reds highlights and i'm glad to see that dave uh jumped into this challenge and came up with i was that the cleveland indian game where adam dunn that that was the adam dunn home run yes i honestly don't remember that game oh come on (laughs) Come on. I've put it out of my memory. Okay, well, you know, you know it's I, funny. Many, I, I, many Reds fans, too, Mark, have have put that out of their me- uh, out of their memory, too, because Adam Dunn hasn't been a Red for years. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that just the other day, maybe when we were talking about it. But if you remember that season, and I guess every team goes through this, where they, they, they bring along young talent, and, and maybe it's Lindor, I hope it's not, but maybe it's somebody like that. They tout them for years and years and years. They finally make it to the big leagues. They have a, a couple decent years, and everybody waits for the light to go on and this star to emerge. And if you remember, the Reds had Austin Kern, Austin Kearns, and they had Adam Dunn. People referred to them as the Gold Dust Twins, and now they're both out of baseball. And the career that uh, Adam Dunn had was certainly a very solid career. He had 40 home runs a number of years. Uh, not so much for Austin Kearns. And it's it's funny how these guys come and go. It's the ebb and flow of baseball. Some make it and some don't. And you have to look at the rosters right now on both teams. Both teams have some good young talent. But you just have to roll the dice and, and take your chances. Well, a lot of players were cut today, Mark, is on both teams, and we're going to get into that. We're also going to hear from both managers, Brian Price of the Reds and Terry Francona of the Indians, to see just what they think about their teams. Now, don't forget, in the next Monday night, and Mark and I, you know, like we always say, we don't talk about the shows, but we've done this for two straight years. This is the fifth year of the show. The last two years we've done this. Of course, next Monday night is the national championship game. That'll begin at 9 o'clock. So... I'm asking Mark, are we still going to go at, like we had the last two years at 8 o'clock next week? 
Absolutely. Okay. Eight o'clock next week. That'll be the show, and that will also be our predictions show. So we will be letting you know so you don't even have to bother watching the Reds and Indians the rest of the year. Just check in with us in October, and we'll be able to tell you if we were right or wrong throughout the entire season. Before we get into all that, Mark, where are you at as far as your final four teams with the NCAA brackets? Well, actually, I have picked every game correctly so far. Uh, Are you like Shaq on that commercial where you've picked after the fact? (laughs) Well, of course. Of course. (coughs) I can say, realistically so, as I sit here and look at my brackets, I had three of the final four teams. The one I missed, believe it or not, was Kentucky. I had Notre Dame beating Kentucky in the regional championship game, and Notre Dame lost by two points. The only time I've ever rooted for Notre Dame. And what do they do? They lose. Well, they had a chance. Obviously, they had a chance to win that game. But uh, I tell you, either Notre Dame is a lot better than I thought, or Kentucky is not quite as strong as I thought. Not that they're not strong. But, you know, I I think their coach uh, had a great comment the other day. He said... We are not perfect. We are just undefeated. And I think that's something fans ought to remember, uh, that Kentucky, this will go down as one of the great college basketball teams of all time, arguably, one could argue, the best basketball team in college history. Uh, but he, by his own admission, you know, that this team could be beaten. And it remains to, see, remains to be seen if they're going to win the whole thing. But, uh, you know, we are witnessing... Uh, one of the great seasons ever in college history in any sport. Someone asked me the other night, would you like to see them go undefeated? And selfishly, I would. And my rationale is that how often do we as fans have an opportunity to witness perfection? And that's what we're going to witness if Kentucky goes all the way in terms of their record perfection. So uh, I hope they go all the way. It's something we can talk about the rest of our lives, and they certainly will. And and you, you can't remember that ever being done before. Oh, I can remember it being done. Indiana? Uh, yeah, not 40-0 not and 0, you have it. It's never happened. No, not 40-0. No. no. My, as far as I'm concerned, the only reason I want to see Kentucky go unbeaten is because I want to see Ashley Judd celebrate at the end of the game. Well, I thought she was going to have a coronary the other night. Did you see that? I I would have given her mouth to mouth. <laughs> Not a problem. You, anyway, you're, you're a giving guy, Dave. <laughs> I am, aren't I? <laughs> Let's move on to baseball. Where today, the Reds made some moves, the Indians made some moves as they try to get down to the 25-man rosters before next Monday's opening game. So let's take a look, Mark. First of all, at what the Reds did today. They released. Left-handed pitcher Paul Mahome, right-handed reliever Pedro Villarreal was optioned to AAA Louisville. Uh, right-handed reliever Nate Adcock, infielders Ivan DeJesus Jr. and Irving Falou, and catcher Kyle Skipworth were all reassigned to the minor league camp. So there really wasn't anything out of the ordinary that the Reds did today that anyone didn't really expect. Well, Dave, today I did not see the, the final tally, but what is their roster down to now? They've got three more players that they need to cut before next Monday. 
Well, well, the guy that's intriguing me is this Dominguez, uh, the catcher, backup catcher. He's been pounding the ball, and you know I, I don't know if there's a spot for him unless they carry three catchers. But this guy can rake, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see what the Reds do with him. But in terms of this roster, uh, it's I don't know, Dave. I, I think it's it's ho hum at best. Uh, I think the Indians, from my way of thinking, have a much better team at this point than the Reds. Uh, and if the Reds run into any injuries this year, uh, it could be a very very long season. But we'll get into that next week. Well, you uh, you bring up a very interesting point because according to all the sources and the media reports, after the cuts were made today for the Reds. The non-roster invitees, Chris Dominguez, like you just brought up, and Brendan Bosch, are going to make the team. But the reason Dominguez probably is going to stick with the team is because Devin Mazzarocco had to leave the game yesterday against the Angels in the top of the third inning. He felt his quad tighten running the bases, and it worried everyone so seriously that they pulled him out of the game right away. Now, that is virtually... The same injury mark that Joey Votto suffered last year. And Mezzarocco has had some problems with injuries during the spring. And he's had an injury-laden career. Is this something that the Reds are starting to feel a little iffy about with him? Well, you know, he's a catcher, number one. And they are prone to more injuries, given the position they play. Uh, I don't think there's anything yet in his... uh, in his history, that would indicate that the Reds have something to worry about in that regard. Uh, now, I, I heard late today, or read late today, that they didn't think it was anything serious. It, it You know, a quad is a quad. I've pulled those things before, and they, they really can um, really knock you down for a while. And imagine if he has the same injury as the same severity of injury that Joey Votto had, if Votto can't play first base, what do you think the chances are that Mezzarocco is going to be able to catch? Oh, I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, that, that's the question. But where do you play Mezzarocco if he is hurt and can't? If he can't catch, you've got to move him. Where do you move him to? You can't. He, he's one of those guys that can't play another position. He said he's never played first base, and this is, you know, when you have a single position player like Mezzarocco, you just don't play him. Now he can, and you can't keep him around for just pinch hitting. That's not going to work. Not in the not in the National League. So you know, I think the Reds are in in deep trouble if he's you know seriously hurt. The first indications are he is not, but that quad injury is is a very very scary injury. Well, along with those moves that were made today. Homer Bailey is expected to start the season on the DL. Sean Marshall, again, is on the DL, the left-handed reliever for the Reds. And outfielder Jason Bourgeois is going to begin the season on the disabled list. And before this afternoon's ball game that the Reds played, their manager, Brian Price, spoke to the media and said, actually, Mark, he's extremely happy with where the club is right now, and they're ready to start the regular season. I like our, our lineup. Um, I like the fact that we have two players that really made significant um, contributions to our club 
in the middle of our order after the injuries, after the injuries to Joey and Brandon and some of the challenges that Jay Bruce went through last year. And that's Devin Mazzarocco and Todd Frazier. Now to go with a healthy Jay Bruce and Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips, the addition of, of Marlon Bird. I mean, those are uh, significant um, contributors to a very solid offense. Uh, the other part I like is I just like that we're in year two. I think that there's a, a, a common theme amongst our, our, our players and our staff here, and, and that's putting our team in the, in the way that we play baseball is the number one thing as opposed to um, you know, being a little bit more focused on um, you know, personal contributions. It's really trying to go out there and play a selfless brand of baseball. And that's hard because most of the guys that we have in our lineup were, have been in the big leagues or in the minor leagues have been middle-of-the-order type of, of hitters. And a lot of times, you know, teams or managers don't ask those middle-of-the-order guys to do the selfless thing like moving a runner with, uh, from second to third with nobody out and, 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 or bunting or, or, or being asked to hit and run. Um, so collectively, I think the players have, have accepted the responsibility, and the pitchers as well, is is really focusing on doing the job and doing what's best for the ball club, and I think that theme runs throughout our ball club. Mark, that's a very interesting comment by Brian Price right at the end where he talked about how the players that he has are middle-of-the-order hitters, and he's talking about them not necessarily with a base hit moving from first to third or second to home, but the comment that he made about bunting, and I took two things from that comment that he made there. First of all, Sparky Anderson, one of the great managers in Reds history, was always dead set against the middle of his lineup bunting because he said it always took the bat out of his hands. And on top of that, with that comment that he made, a lot of people over the last couple of years, you and I included, have been questioning the approach that Joey Votto has been taking to the plate. What Brian Price just said seems to feed into what Joey Votto's approach is at the plate. What do you think? Well, I think it does feed into that narrative of baseball being a, a game that, is, that has gone under probably as much change in the last, certainly the last five or six years, than it ever has. And I mean, I mean that prior to that, Major League Baseball was a three-run home run. That is what you played for. With the steroids, with the guys not hitting home runs, offense on the decline, you better be able to play small ball in this age of baseball or you're not going to win. And I think that's what he was getting at, that, that players now just can't go up there uh, and expect to, to hit a home run every, you know, every eight at-bats or ten at-bats. It's not going to happen. So if you're not prepared to play small ball, you're not going to compete, and I'm happy to see that. Uh, the problem is it, it takes as much skill or more skill to play that brand of baseball offensively than just having a big stud go up there and hit a 500-foot home run, and I'm afraid the Reds don't have that skill level. I mean, you, Dave, if you, do you think that Jay Bruce <clears throat> is a guy that can play small ball? Well, see, another th- you're, you're right, Mark, and another thing I took from what Brian Price was saying there is we have a lineup full of one and two, five, six, and seven hitters. We don't have anybody that hits three, four, or five. So he's liable to go anywhere in the order 
and play that small ball, including having his own cleanup hitter bunt. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that if you've got the skill sets to you know, put the bunt sign down. And <clears throat> let's say it's a ninth inning, and you have a guy at second base with nobody out, and you have your number four hitter up. Well, you obviously want to move that runner to third base at all costs, and having your number four hitter drop a bunt, move the runner to third base with only one out, a fly ball, a ground ball, an air, any way he can score. But I don't think the Reds have that kind of, of lineup. Because as, as he just said, most of their players are used to hitting two, three, and four, or five in, the, in their minor league careers. And the guy that is really perplexing me and I think could be a real problem for the Reds this year, is Billy Hamilton. I don't know if you've seen his numbers. He's hitting like 165. He's not getting on base. He's striking out a lot. And, I, you know, maybe he's the kind of guy who can turn it on when the when the bell rings for opening day. But after what he did the second half of last year and what he's doing in spring training, uh, I'm worried. Well, that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on as the season begins. A week from today. As far as the Indians are concerned, Mark, the Francisco Lindor watch right now has moved to Columbus because he was sent down to the Clippers on Thursday. Jose Ramirez has won the shortstop job. That was one of the moves that the Indians made over the weekend. They also today optioned outfielder Tyler Holt to AAA Columbus, and they informed outfielder first baseman Jerry Sands that he is not going to make the club, but they're hoping that they can sneak Sands through waivers and get him onto the Columbus Clippers so they can keep him. Now, meanwhile, while those two players, Holton Sands, are gone for opening day, Terry Francona thinks that they still could impact the Indians at some point here in the regular season, and Francona is saying that they sent Sands down not because of his spring training, but because they want to continue to get him regular at-bats with Columbus. And now, what happens with the Indians? Well, Nick Swisher was supposed to play yesterday in a minor league game. He did not. He's going to start the season on the DL. That means that the final roster spot is either going to be handled by a regular day-to-day player or a reliever. Now, the competition for the final roster spot is down to a right-handed reliever, Austin Adams, a non-roster infielder, Michael Martinez, and first baseman, Jesus Aguilar. Now, I'll tell you, Mark, right now, this is typical of the Indians. And again, I'm going to be critical of the front office. I'm going to get into Lindor a little bit more later on in the show because what happened today in Major League Baseball completely correlates what's going on with the Indians in sending Lindor down. They were lucky that Jose Ramirez had such an outstanding training camp also because Lindor was outstanding in the three weeks that he played with the Indians this year, hitting 300, one error in the field. He had 13 hits, two home runs, and five RBIs. But Ramirez did almost the same exact thing. The problem is is that Ramirez has got the little major league experience that he got last year at the end of the season, while Lindor hasn't seen a sniff of the major leagues. Now, another thing here is Jesus Aguilar. Aguilar is in the same position, Mark, that Jerry Sands was. Sands had an outstanding training camp. Aguilar 
has had an outstanding training camp. This guy is a right-handed power hitter. He is the type of player that the Indians need on this team. They need a right-handed power hitter. He can play first base. He can DH. And that's what they need with Swisher out of the lineup and on the DL. Now, if they keep somebody like Michael Martinez or they keep another reliever in Austin Adams, it just lends further credence, and we'll get into this a little bit later on, as to what is constantly going through the Indians' minds, and that's arbitration eligible. I don't want to get into that right now. We'll get into it here in a little bit. But Aguilar has done what he needs to do more than Adams, more than Martinez, to make this major league squad. And if he doesn't, the union has to get involved in this. I, I, I hate to say that, but it's like going to the principal after the after the cart has left the barn. Something has got to be done over the way that these major league teams are thinking. And, and again, we'll get back into that here in just a little bit. But the four and five starters that we brought up a week ago, Mark, as far as the Indians can, are concerned, they have been decided upon. Zach McAllister will be the number four starter. T.J. House, the left-hander, will be the number five starter. They sent Danny Salazar and Josh Tomlin to Columbus because they had options available. Uh, Sean Markham still on the team. What they're going to do with him is a mystery. Nobody seems to know what they're going to do with Markham, although he's had a good training camp also. And Bruce Chen, he'll be cut. He's out of the running. So your starting five for the Indians are going to be Corey, Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, Trevor Bauer, McAllister, and House. Those will be your five starting pitchers. And they've got three or four starting pitchers down in the minor leagues, Mark, that they could bring up and do some spot starting if they need to, including Tomlin, including Salazar. I think the Indians are in good shape, but they've got to get out of this mindset. You know, I don't understand major league teams right now, Mark. I, I don't get it. If a kid comes in and plays to the best of his ability and does what he needs to do in order to make the major league team, these guys are sending them back down to the minors. What are you telling your prospects anymore? Why are you even having a training camp? Everybody comes into training camp, Mark, in shape. They're ready to go. So why do they need four to five weeks? Well, I think you're asking two different questions there. In terms of what they're doing, uh, they're they're trying to save money, and if there's, I don't know how anybody can disagree with the premise. Whether it's they should be doing it or not is a different story, but they are just saving money. They're they're looking long term. They're looking at ways that they can uh, manage their their assets over an extended period of time, and you know I, I don't know enough about the talent level <clears throat> with the Indians particularly. I think it's more egregious what the Cubs are doing. and I know you want to get into that in a few minutes, but that is a lot more difficult to explain and, and understand. Now, where, where you and I disagree is I don't think the union has a leg to stand on. Now, whether I mean, they, they're the ones who made the rules up. Now they can't go back. You can't go back and change it. The, that's the, not that's not what the union needs to do, though, Mark. They they don't need to change anything. What they need to do is they need to come in here, even if they do lose. That's what Rosenthal's entire article was about a week ago. Even if they lose the fight, and they will, they're setting themselves up for the future, just like Marvin Miller did and Donald Fear did 
throughout the years. They set themselves up for down the road. But what these guys are doing, these owners and the front offices, is almost criminal with what they're doing with their minor league players. These kids are coming up, and they're playing their butts off, and they're proving that they belong, and they're being sent down, they're being penalized, because the teams want to keep them another year. So what? That's not right. Why in the world, then, do you want to bring these kids up and play in training camp, put them in the ball games, and tell them, hey, dangle that little carrot, just like we talk about Pete Rose. Dangle that carrot that you're going to make this Major League Ball Club if you come out here and you play your butt off. That's not true. Then change the arbitration rules. The, the, the Major League Baseball, the, the union, they set those arbitration rules, and Major League owners and the management, they're following those rules. If you have a problem where you don't want a kid sent down because you don't think it's deserving, that's your point. That's you my think, point. Okay. Well, that's that's subjective. And they have the right to make any, any decision they want based on the long-term value that that player brings to the team. Mark, now, there is no argument the Cubs can make. There's no argument that Theo Epstein can make that says Chris Bryant doesn't deserve to be on that team. Sure he None. can. He can make an argument that it's in our financial best interest, long term, not to bring him up. Enough. That's all he has to say. We're living by your rules, Union. If you don't like it, then change the. Then how do you go to your how do you go to your ticket, Brent, your your season ticket holders, and say we're in this to win this year? Dave, uh, David, they're sold out. Wrigley Field will be sold out every home game, almost every home game. It won't make any difference on their income side. And if there's a, if there's an issue relative to the psyche of the kid, well, you know they can bring him up. What is it, May second or May twelfth or something like that? You think a, you think a month is going to somehow injure that kid? Uh, you know, actually, I've said this over the last few years, Mark. Yes, I do. I think when a kid comes into training camp and he plays his butt off and proves that he deserves to win, this is what I've said about the Indians over the last few years. Why do you put a kid in a position to come in here and try to win a job, and he does win the job, and you still send him down to the minor leagues? It's not right. You're telling this kid that it doesn't matter what he does. You're not making this team. So what's the impetus for a Chris Bryant to even try to make the team in training camp? Oh, you've got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Well, the, the kid has a chance to make... A half a billion dollars in Major League Baseball. You think when the Cubs decide that it's un, in their best interest for him to do that. Well, of course, but you think a month is going to impact this? If if that impacts that kid, you've got the wrong kid. You really right. do. If you don't have a kid who understands the basics, his agent ought to be sitting down and saying, "Look, obviously you deserve to be on the roster. Hey, they're they're playing the rules as they can and should, and I do the same thing. You 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 can't just discount." the business part of this, and I don't blame the Cubs. And again, if if, if the union or Boris, uh, his agent, is so upset about it, then why did you negotiate that deal that gave Major League Baseball the right to do that? Well, Boris had nothing to do with it. No, but, it's his, but his, his player is the one we're talking about. Right. So, but see, this is something that the union collectively bargained. You and I agree on that. But I don't think the union ever foresaw what the owners are doing. And I think what the union needs to do now is go ahead and fight this thing as best they can. They will lose. I've got no doubt in my mind that they will lose, just like Rosenthal's article states. 
but you're setting yourself up for the next collective bargaining agreement that this kind of shenanigans is not going to be tolerated. I think it's way overrated, Dave. I really do. I don't think it has any impact on the player at all. And sure, he wants to make their major league roster. Big deal. He goes down to uh, AAA for a month or not even less than a month, and he comes back up and still hits 30 home runs and hits over 300. So I don't see it as a big deal. And if if the union wants to change it, if they're so concerned about the psyche of that player, then change the rule. Oh, I agree. that, And I think that's what the union will do. Well, they I, can't do it by themselves, but you, you may be right. I mean, I think it's <coughs> it's – I think the fairness issue in terms of what it does to the player, I don't think it's a big deal, frankly. Psychologically, I just don't. I mean, uh, this is a situation, Mark, that's happening all over. Houston, their top prospect, Carlos Correa, he's a 20-year-old shortstop. He was the top pick in the 2012 amateur draft. He was sent down to the minors today, even though he hit – 341 with two homers in 18 spring games. Are you going to tell me that this kid isn't better than anybody else Houston's got playing shortstop right now? It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It, then it, it, okay, forget the Cubs in this situation. Okay. All right. The Cubs and the or the, the the Astros and the Indians both have attendance problems. The Indians are sold out for the first game. The second game, I think they've sold 6,000 tickets. Now, are you telling me that these fans aren't going to come out and watch Francisco Lindor play? They're going to be excited about watching him play more than Jose Ramirez? And are you going to tell me that anybody in Houston is going to be more excited about watching this Carlos Correa kid play rather than coming out and seeing Luis Valbuena play shortstop I, for the Astros? Come on, Mark. No, no, Dave, I, we, I disagree with you. I, I think in the case of the Indians with Lindor, you can't tell me that Lindor is that much better, that he's he's some phenom that much better than what they have last year, who was a pretty damn good shortstop. No, I'm not he, trying to say that. But what I am saying is, is that the same thing that you and I have been talking about over the last two years, that the Indians have been touting Lindor for years, for two years at least, three years at the most, they've been touting this kid. Jose Ramirez is a blip on the screen. He's not the long-term answer for the Indians at shortstop. Everybody agrees to that. Now, Lindor comes in and plays his butt off in training camp and plays Ramirez to a tie, basically, for the shortstop position. I'm, what I'm saying is there are more people that are going to be excited about coming out and watching Francisco Lindor than they are with a guy in Jose Ramirez, even though I think he's a decent talent, okay, but they're going to be more excited about coming out and watching Lindor than a guy that they're going to forget two years from now. Well, I, I disagree with you. I don't think it's going to have an impact on their attendance. You oh, might it, have a few. It, 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 their, their attendance is already the big, biggest question mark in baseball. And you think a guy who's never been up, Lindor, who, who had an okay year last year, not a great year. I mean, there's, there's clearly people in the minor leagues, guys in the minor leagues last year who had better years than Lindor. Right. Do you think do you think the Indians' fortunes are going to the the difference? The, the use the WAR statistic if nothing else. Do you think that he's that much better than than Ramirez? Mark, that that's not what I said. I, I said that. people will be more excited about coming out and watching Lindor play because of the way the Indians have touted him. He will put more fannies in the seats than Ramirez will. Well, I, I don't think that's the case. 
I don't think he's a big enough talent to do that, to make a, a yeah, there might be some curiosity. I just don't see this kid being that good that he is going to make a difference in the attendance for the Indians this year. And if he is, uh, the Indians are in big trouble because I think they have a chance to win this thing. And their, their abilities far exceed the difference between Ramirez and Lindor, in my opinion. I don't think he's going to make a, a – he might make a, a, a game or two, three, I don't know. That's not the point. Yes, it the, is the point. No, it's not the point as far as putting fannies in the seats. People are going to want to come and watch the Indians play with Lindor at shortstop more than they are with Ramirez at shortstop. So you're they're, saying, they're going to want to see this kid. So you're saying if the Indians have a winning record, that it's because of Lindor being that's in... That's not the, what I'm saying at all. Then I am saying, you're saying... Your premise is wrong. No, it's not. Yes, I am yes, saying yes. that people are going to buy a ticket, more likely to come buy a ticket to watch Lindor play than they are to buy a ticket to watch Ramirez play. They won't give a rat's ass about those two guys. Is that is that the case? You really believe that? Yeah. I, then I explain really to me the that. Indians the Indians' problem with attendance last year. The, the, the Indians will draw. They have proven that if they're they not draw. Mark, no, that was the '90s. That was when the fans of Cleveland felt that the ownership was in it to win. This is just another case of the Indians' ownership and front office proving to the fans they don't care about winning. That's yep. what the fans in Cleveland are are seeing and feeling right now. That's why last year the Indians were next to last in baseball in attendance. You can't prove a negative at this point because we haven't played any games. My point is whether Ramirez is at shortstop or Lindor is shortstop, that has nothing to do with attendance if the team is winning. Yes, it if does. He, if the, oh, Dave, I'm, if I'm, the, Mark, I'm going to take last year as a, I'm going to take the last two years in Cleveland as an example. Cleveland only. All right. Two years ago, they made the playoffs. The attendance was was almost the same as it was a year ago when they didn't make the playoffs. Nobody, the the fans in Cleveland, you've got to understand, are against the Dolans as owners. They don't feel the Dolans' major mistake was. They made a comment about seven or eight years ago that when the fans start coming to the games, we'll start spending money on the team. That was the biggest mistake that they could have made because now the fans who felt that Dick Jacobs spent money on the team, and he did, he only asked for an 8% return on his investment every year through John Hart. They feel that the Dolans are not committed to bring a, bringing a winner to Cleveland. They're not committed at doing it. And this is just another reason that the fans have to stay away. They don't feel... That's why I'm saying they're more apt... The Indians have been touting Lindor now for years. For at least two years. This kid's great. He's an Omar Vizquel. He's another Omar Vizquel. If they had him at shortstop, people would want to buy a ticket to come out, come out and watch them play. With Ramirez, it's just another fly-by-night, a Tommy Verizer, a Frank Duffy that's going to be a shortstop that he isn't even going to be on this team in two years. So who cares? Dave, what did Ramirez hit last year? Uh, about 285. Okay. That would put him in the top five shortstops in Major League Baseball. I understand that, Mark. I'm not saying he's a it, bad it, shortstop. 
then it's the end of story. Because no, if, it's not. If this guy can hit 285, I don't give a damn who is in the minor leagues for the Indians. If he can hit 285 at the major league level for, for a winning team and a professional team, why would you rush up Lindor when you don't have to? Because you're not rushing him up. <laughs> okay. He's been in the minors now for three years. He did a good job on training in, in spring training this year. He's the type of kid that they can build this team around. They've been touting him. Maybe not build the team around, but he's a he's a star on this team in the making. He's a homegrown product. Jose Ramirez, as good as he is, is not going to be on this team in two years. He's not the future. <laughs> How old is he? He's 26 years old. Okay, he's not even reached his prime Mark, yet. Mark, do you really think that he's going to be the shortstop of the Indians in 2017? He may or may not be. My, my point is that he has proved himself at the major league level. If I was the general manager of the Indians, I had a guy at shortstop have one of the highest batting averages at, in the position in baseball, not in the American League, but in baseball. Why would I not start this guy at shortstop this year? That makes no sense. Bring up an unproven rookie? That makes no sense strategically. And, okay, and when you let, add, let me go back and, and, and ask you another question, okay? And I'm going to use a, one of the Indians' favorite sons, Omar Vizquel. Why was Omar Vizquel traded away from Seattle? I have no clue. Because they had a young, budding shortstop in the minor leagues that they wanted to make way for in Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'd make the same trade. Well, who would you rather have in their prime, Rodriguez or, or Vizquel? I'm making my point here, Mark. Vizquel was not going to be the shortstop in Seattle. But, Dave, you're, you're, you're comparing. No, I'm the, not. I am comparing situations. I'm not comparing talent. I'm but, comparing situations. Ramirez is not going to be the shortstop in Cleveland in 2017, maybe not even in 2016. Dave, if he hit 280, let's say he hits 290 this year, or 301, what are you going to do then? Bring up and what if he hits 230? Yeah, he might. Let you give th you thought two years ago Zach Cozart was the future of the Reds. Now you're ready to get rid of it. No, I never said Zach Cozart was the future of the Reds, and he was never touted like Lindor. But Ramirez, look at the numbers. He's a proven major league commodity, at least last year he was. And I'll, I'll bet you he was in the top, I said top five. He may be higher than that. And you're going to you're going to bring in a rookie to replace this guy? Absolutely, because he doesn't have the he doesn't have the range to play shortstop on a successful major league level. Everybody agrees to that. You told me that he was the best defensive player on that team last year. He was. What, Mark? Look at their defense. They were dead last in defense last year. Okay, Anybody and, could have been a be one of the best players on defense in that team. So you're saying that he was one of the better players on defense. He he, he ran the bases well. He's got a good arm. He, no, he doesn't have a good arm. I never said he had a good arm. He's got a weak arm for shortstop. But, but overall, defensively, he did the job. And uh, also, he was adequate. Okay, adequate. But he was m far more than adequate offensively. And so, so your position is, in terms of... Messing with a player's psyche, a guy who hit 285 last year, your starting shortstop, really solidified that team last year, in my opinion. And he, he goes into spring training, has another good spring training this year by your own admission, and you're going to bench him for a rookie? Yes. 
Okay. Well, we just disagree. <laughs> All right. Well, how how do you how do you again? I mean, this was this was the discussion that I wanted to get into on the Rosenthal article. How do you substantiate what the Cubs? I mean, let, forget the Cubs. Even though Bryant, as far as I'm concerned, you're never going to convince me that Bryant should be the starting third baseman for the Cubs this year. But Korea from Houston. Houston's had one of the worst records in baseball now for the last four years running. And you're telling me that this kid, Korea, who hits three three forty one in 18 games during training camp, two home runs, plays an outstanding defensive shortstop, that they got somebody over there that they're going to play better than him? Do you ever hear of a guy named Dave Sapelt? Yes, I remember him. Yeah, he hit 500 for the Reds in spring training three years ago. There, there are guys like that every year, every year, that come into spring training, they play 15, 20, 25 games, knock the cover off the ball, or, or, or pitch shutout baseball every time they go out there. Spring, the, the spring training is over, the season starts, and they get pounded, or they, get, or, or they hit 180 or, and are sent back. So I, I, I can't look at spring training and say, wow, that kid hit 400 in spring training. Let's, let's start him at shortstop. I, I just don't, I don't ascribe to that. And talk about messing up the mentality of a player and a team. If, if Lindor were to come into Cleveland and start at, at shortstop this year, his teammates would look around and say, what the hell is going on around here? Ramirez... He, he he was our he was our arguably one of the better players Cleveland had last year, and you're going to bench him for a rookie. Well, well I still think the possibility is there that if Chisenhall doesn't start playing, uh, doesn't start hitting the baseball, that Ramirez will be moved to second permanently, and Kipnis will be sent to third base, which is what I think they should probably do in the first place. I think Ramirez is better suited, and everybody agrees that Ramirez is better suited to be a second baseman in Major League Baseball rather than a shortstop. And as far as third base is concerned, Kipnis probably has a better a better glove at third base than Chisenhall has. See, the problem that the Indians have right now with Kipnis at second and Ramirez at short is the range problem. Neither one of them have good range. They are not Brandon Phillips and Zach Cozart. At second and short, they can't go in the hole on either side of themselves and get get a baseball. They've got range of about three or four steps, and that's it. But if you move Ramirez to short or to second base, I'm sorry, then he's got a little more range there than Kipnis does, and Kipnis has got a good first step, and that would be good at third base. Well, that's that's a realistic approach to increasing the the level of defense on your team. But my, my argument is that you, you were so concerned about Lindor's psyche, I'd be concerned about the entire team's psyche if you bring an unproven rookie into that situation when a guy hit 285 last year in the big leagues at shortstop and had to be one of the more productive offensive players in baseball at that position. And that, that To me, that's not fair. And in terms of what it does to the team and the clubhouse, I think it's very deleterious to that team to do it that way. Well, even though I'm sitting here complaining about it, Terry Francona of the Indians says that they have to quit talking about the word potential and start to develop this season, and that's one of the things that he's going to try to make sure that this team accomplishes. It'll be nice when the potential turns into factual and year after year. Mm -hmm. And in Kluber's case, he went out and did it, did it better than anyone last year. 
Um, and I don't see any reason why he's not going to be a leader of the staff mm -hmm. for years to come. You know, Carlos Carrasco, that's exciting what he did. Now watching him do it for a full year mm -hmm. is going to be interesting to see Trevor Bowers' growth. You know, we're looking forward to that. We feel good about our pitching, and we better feel good because that's what keeps you in games day in and day out. You know, when you add one hitter, it's amazing what it does to your lineup. You know, it kind of thickens it out a little mm -hmm. bit. And Mossy with that legit power sitting right there in the middle will really be big. But then you can kind of say, well, Rad and Kipnis too, because mm -hmm. he was beat up last year and he didn't have the production that Kip can have. So you get him back healthy, and all of a sudden you got a guy that can run, hit for some power, you know, hit maybe second, and then you had a five-hole hitter. That, that's a big help for our lineup. Yeah, what Terry Francona is saying there, Mark, is the addition of Brandon Moss really can help your entire lineup. It's the same thing we've been talking about for the last couple of years with the Reds. Just one hitter would improve that entire lineup, and, and Marlon Bird may not be that hitter, but he's the type of guy that is going to be better than Ryan Ludwig was for the Reds over the last couple of years, which, by the way, I don't know if you heard this or not, Ryan Ludwig got cut by the Rangers today. Well, that doesn't surprise me. We know Ryan Ludwig was the type of guy, he was a journeyman player. He had a couple good years. He negotiated some great contracts based on that. You know, he, he played, you know, 12, 15 years in the big leagues. Never was, in my opinion, a star, but a good, solid uh, major league player. And, you know, good for him. I mean, he... He irritated me last year many times, you know, just because he wasn't productive. But uh, I wish I'd have played in the big leagues as long as he did, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Mark, they're talking about that fifth spot in the starting rotation for the Reds being between Rezel Iglesias and Michael Lorenzen. Now, you talked about Lorenzen last week. Talk a little bit about Iglesias this week and what he does as a starting pitcher. Well, he's he's gotten lit up the last two times he's been out there, and I don't know why. I saw him pitch one time in spring training on TV, and he looked like he was throwing frisbees. Uh, his his breaking ball is a big sweeping slider. He's got a he's got a, a a tight breaking ball over the over the top. Good fastball. He's in the mid nineties. Uh, the only thing that scares me a little bit about him, he's got a very slight frame. And they're talking about making him a starter. And I don't know, because <clears throat> I've never seen him pitch a whole year, does he have the physical makeup to go out there and pitch starting big league baseball? You know, pitch seven, eight innings every time he goes out there. I don't know. And I don't think he's proved it at this level anyway. So if you look at the red starting rotation, and I'll tell you, Dave, this, this season uh, could go <laughs> – in opposite polar directions. If this team gets off to a slow start, uh, this team will not be the same team starting the year as it will ending it. <coughs> where, where does DeScalfini fit into the rotation plans? Well, he fit fine until he gave up six runs yesterday against the Padres. And now I don't know. So with, with Homer <laughs> Bailey being on the DL, you've got Leak and Cueto... Who will be the the well? Cueto will be the top starter. Leak will be number two. Then who's three and four? Well, you have De Calfini is is scheduled as number three. Homer Bailey was supposed to be number four, and Iglesias number five. So that's at, at this point, that's the way it was supposed to be. Bailey only number four because of the injury. 
But this team does not have a lot of depth at starting pitching. And, you know, Paul Mahome, I'm really surprised they cut him because he was giving him some decent innings. And uh, I just don't know where this team is going to go in terms of their starting rotation. Uh, The thing that I understood about Mahome was they wanted to put him in the bullpen to take the place (coughs) of Sean Marshall, but Mahome wanted to be a starter. Yeah, well, I'd like to be tall and good-looking, too, but... uh, if you well, don't want to talk, t- yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> if you want to be on the team, and you don't want to play the kind of team ball that uh, Brian Price was talking about early on, then uh, you know, leave. And that's probably what the Reds told him. If you don't want to be in the bullpen to help us help us out where we need you, uh, then go somewhere else. Are you are you happy with the way that this this uh, training camp has gone for the Reds this year, Mark? Well, I, I'm one of those guys who just doesn't believe in spring training. I, I never have. I think it's something that uh, people overrate. So I don't care what you do in spring training. I don't care what you do in September when you when you're called up. What matters is what you do between April and August. That, that's Major League Baseball. They bring up these kids in September. They're facing other AAA guys, or they're facing pitchers that are, if a team's out of it, they're going to throw out their fourth and fifth starters and see what they got. So I'm just, I don't believe in that stuff. So if the Reds had a great spring training, I'd feel exactly about them as I do now. If they had an awful spring training, and it looks like they're going to be around 500 this year in spring training. Uh, And, you know, it doesn't matter to me what they do in spring training. Right, you and I agree as far as the record is concerned during spring training, but mainly spring training is just designed to get pitchers ready for the regular season. Yeah, and I I think spring training, I don't know what you think about this, I think it's way too long. Uh, The the way the guys are in shape this this time in their careers, uh, there was a time guys came into spring training to get in shape. You know, they eat like pigs over the winter, didn't work out. And they come in and wear rubber suits all spring to get in shape. That's not the case now. Guys are out there in shape. They work out every day. There's just too much money at stake not to do that. So guys start, you know, when the season ends September 30th, by, you know, October 10th, they're out there lifting weights and running and sweating and, and staying in shape all year. So, uh, again, I, I think spring training is too long, and I think it's way overrated. You know, some night you and I – have to discuss uh, the meaning behind there's too much money in this game because it seems to me like players are missing a lot more time when they're making a lot more money than they ever missed when they were making little money and they've missed very little time. I just I understand the reasoning behind it, but it just doesn't seem to fit what what's going on. And you know, Mark, another thing is is that we talk about the Reds and the Indians opening up this Monday a week from today, and it used to be that the Reds opened up, they were the first team to open up. First of all, they, you know, for years, they, they opened up the first day of the season, before a day before everybody else, and then it started to be they would open up at 12.30 in the afternoon, a good half an hour to an hour before everybody else. Now the Reds don't even open up first. On Sunday night is the first game on ESPN, and that's the Cardinals going into Chicago to Wrigley Field to take on the Chris Bryantless Cubs. So, I mean, I don't understand where Bud Selig was trying to go with this. 
You know, there are some traditions in baseball that I think should be just left alone. Well, you know, I'm prejudiced as a Reds fan. Uh, I think all Reds fans would say that's that's kind of a neat thing to have that that opportunity for the opening day. Uh, I don't think the players care. Uh, the fans might care a little bit. Um, so, yeah, you know, things change, times changes, times change, and people move on to new things. You know, it's so selfishly I see it, but scheduling I can see also it might be a problem. You know, to do it every year with the Reds. You know, I I told Greg I was going to ask you this question. Greg Mitchell, our producer, I told him tonight I was going to ask you this question. It's a little off the beaten path, but you know, you and I were not big fans of Bud Selig. Who do you think is the worst commissioner, Bud Selig or Roger Goodell of the NFL? Well, that's a that's a good question, actually. The the answer would be predicated on what is happening on the field. And I, I would say Bud Selig was a better commissioner. Uh, baseball is growing, and I, I think people underestimated what happened this past week when that young man uh, from the 49ers, his name escapes me now, but when he quit. And I, I've heard... Uh, Chris many, Borland. Chris Borland. Uh, two of my neighbors here in the Dayton area are, are former, in fact, one's a current superintendent of schools and they're very athletic oriented and they they say every year it's it's getting harder and harder to field a competent football team and even to the point that some of them are thinking of doing what colleges do where they would play say division one in one sport and division two in another and the reason is moms and dads are saying what i'm not going to put my kid out there maybe break his neck, maybe have knee injuries, maybe have a concussion syndrome the rest of his life, have brain damage, for what? To play high school football? Are you kidding? It's just not worth it. And once that starts at that level, it's going to go into college, and it's eventually going to go to the pros. And, and then you're going to be forced to make some very, very big changes in, in rules, how you tackle. Uh, all, all these things are going to diminish pro football. And I think pro football may have seen its peak because if that does in fact begin to happen, uh, you're going to see a, a big change in the sport. And, you know, for the first time this year, you know, they did away with the uh, the blackouts in pro football. In 2015, there, it's the first time uh, that they're not going to have blackouts, although there were only a handful of them last year because it was sold out. But I, I think Adele has a bigger challenge and, of course, with the, 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 the stuff with the, the abuse and all those things that he had to deal with this year, I'm not sure how anybody could have handled that and, and escaped criticism. But I think there are bigger issues than that, frankly. I, I think football may have peaked. Uh, baseball continues to grow, continues to expand. And if, if Major League Baseball can figure out how to get the, the talented Afro-American kid in the, in the inner city to start playing baseball again, that, to me, will keep this sport growing over the next 50 years. You know, another question I wanted to ask you, Mark, this is off the beaten path of the Reds and the Indians, as the last question was I just asked you. But, uh, you know, we're, we did football and basketball on Ultimate Sports Talk this year. We're going to do some baseball and girls softball games coming up here uh, in a few weeks. We're going to 
put on a few games. But, Mark, I went to a high school baseball game here earlier this afternoon, and the temperature was about 40 to 45. The wind was blowing, and it was freezing to sit out there and watch a high school game. Now, when I was in Iowa, Iowa's High School Athletic Association actually played the baseball season, the high school baseball season, during the summer months. They went from June through the first week in August, and that was the high school baseball season. Incoming freshmen were eligible to play, and incoming seniors were eligible to play. Any seniors that graduated, obviously, were gone. Now, my question to you is, you've, you've seen this, you've, you've been around high school baseball. I, I'm beginning to believe, Mark, and I want to ask you the same question. Do you think it's time that Ohio look into something? Because, you know, to play a game here on March 30th uh, is just way too cold to be standing out there and even trying to hit a pitch. Yeah, I agree with, I agree with you. I, I think I used to hate to play in cold weather. And I remember in high school, you know, we'd go out there, we'd start taking infield when it was, you know, March 15th. And you had to get sh- snow off the, you know, the, the field to go out and play. So I, I agree with that. And we, we had a summer league here in Dayton, which was a very good summer league. And it started, I, I think, middle of May and went through, you know, August, which was a lot of fun. But in these cold weather states, I agree with that 100%. They ought to be have more common sense than to send a kid out there. And, and, and sometimes with wind chill, it's in the 30s. Right. And, you know, you can get hurt out there doing that. What's the status of the search for Dylan Michael, Mark? Well, we are starting on May 2nd and 3rd. Our first tryouts will be here in Ohio. And we're excited about what that is going to yield for us in terms of uh, people getting involved in the project. And we're looking, we have some kids coming in from Chicago, we found out. Uh, one kid from Iowa, actually, is coming in to try out. So we'll see what happens. It, it's it's our, our Kickstarter campaign is going to be coming up in April. So we're kind of prepping through our search for Dylan Michael, our Kickstarter campaign. But uh, we're excited about it. And the facility we have here in Dayton is outstanding. Uh, Action Sports Center. And uh, if you don't know about it, go to lastatbatthemovie.com, and you'll see everything we're talking about. That's lastatbatthemovie.com. Well, the Reds and Indians are wrapping things up out in Goodyear. They'll play the, they played the first spring training game this year, Mark, at Goodyear, and they're going to play the last one also this Thursday. And then the Reds will be traveling to Toronto to play a two-game set on Friday and Saturday against the Blue Jays. And the Indians are heading to Milwaukee to play a two-game set with the Brewers, and that will be on Friday and Saturday. Then both teams have Sunday off, and then the Reds will open up the season at home with Pittsburgh on Monday. I believe that is a is a one or one thirty, Mark. No, I think it's a, a four o'clock game, actually, Dave. Is it okay? Now, I know the Indians are at six o'clock. That's going to be in Houston that they play opening day in Houston, and that will be Monday. But we'll be on the air next. Monday night at 8 o'clock, mark that time change, 8 o'clock next week. That's the only week we'll do it at 8 o'clock because the NCAA championship game, and that is our prediction show. So, Mark, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, Dave. All right. Our thanks to Mark. Our thanks to you also. Don't forget, as I said, next week it's our prediction show. We'll be on the air at 8 o'clock. And we'll be bringing you that here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, of course to Mark Donahue, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. 
For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Till next Monday night at 8 o'clock. Good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella. The scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially with...